The Lord bless us as we turn in our Bibles now to Psalm 67. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you, please open it to Psalm 67 so you can follow along and uh, follow the sermon in the text this morning. Sorry, Psalm 61, I should have said. I do apologise, Psalm 61. bit blurry-eyed this morning. Okay. And it says in the uh, inscription at the top for the director of music with strings, stringed instruments of David. Uh, if you uh, are using a King James Version, it says upon Neginar. And uh, you may think to yourself, what on earth is Neginar? Well, Neginar is the Hebrew word, and that's literally put in the King James, for uh, a stringed instrument. And it's in the singular. Uh, Neginoth is plural, and you find that in some Psalms. But this is a singular instrument, perhaps like David's harp, that he wrote this song on. And as we see, this Psalm of David uh, would be personal to him for singing. Verse 1 says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then will I ever sing praise to your name. And fulfill my vows day after day. Please keep your Bibles open there. Back in the uh, mid-1800s, a missionary went out to India from Wales. And uh, he went to the state of Assam. And he had the fruit of one soul. (laughs) <laughs> for his labor, one soul, and he led the man of God, uh, uh, he led a man to the Lord, who uh, became the first Christian in his village. And unfortunately, uh, the people in the village didn't like the fact that he had become a Christian, and they were opposed to him, and they started persecuting him, and uh, they called a council, and they said, We call on you to return to our native religion rather than following. Jesus Christ you tell us about and the man made a stand and he said I have decided to follow Jesus and he said though none go with me I will follow and that was his testimony and he gave such a brave testimony that other villagers actually thought this was worth following if it was worth him uh, making such a stand for and others were converted as a result of his brave testimony Well, years later, an evangelist by the name of Sadhu Sundar Singh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, a famous man uh, in terms of Indian missionary work, he heard this story and he thought those words need to be put to music. 
and he wrote the chorus that the Billy Graham uh, meetings used to be famous for singing. Bev Shea used to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, yet I will follow. And that's the origins of that beautiful song which we sometimes sing with the children here. You know, it's amazing, isn't it? You learn so much by watching people when they're in times of difficulty. And that man in his time of difficulty gave a major testimony uh, for others and it left a legacy to this day. Somebody once said, I have learned that you can tell a lot about a person by the way he or she handles three things. A rainy day, lost luggage, and tangled Christmas lights. <laughs> and it's true, isn't it? You, how people react to situations is a, a witness uh, to their faith. Somebody has said Christians are like tea bags. When they're put in hot water, that's when the flavor really floods out. And uh, you see what they're really are made of. Well, this psalm here is a testimony to David and his faith and his walk with the Lord when he was in a time of great difficulty. Uh, we, we, we see this as one of the Psalms which David wrote in a time of distress. And although it isn't uh, dated, it doesn't say like some of the Psalms do. This was when David was hiding in the cave or something like that. Uh, we know pretty sure when this was from the details within the text. For one thing, David is the king, as we see in verse 6. And God has made a promise to him to have a kingdom. Uh, we know also that he is away from his kingdom because in verse 2 he says from the ends of the earth I call to you and he's in a time of great distress so this matches up with the time when David had to flee from his own son Absalom and the rebellion that he raised against him as we read about in the book of 2 Samuel and what it shows us is God's grace working in David. Now, grace isn't just saving grace. There's another type of grace as well. We know grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. But there's another type of grace, a grace that works in the believer after they're saved. Someone has said it stands for God's resources applied to Christian experience. And uh, that's a good way of remembering the different types. And we see God's grace at work in David because in his difficulties, he gives us this beautiful psalm, which is an example uh, of facing difficulties in our lives. And maybe you're facing difficulties in your life at this time. If you're not facing difficulties now, praise the Lord. But one day you will again and you will need to come back to the word of God for your strength and your help. And what we see here is David's protection, David's preference, David's prayer, and David's praise as we see the simple structure uh, of this psalm pretty much in couplets all the way through. So let's have a look uh, at these one by one. First of all, his protection. And we see that in verses 1 to 3. And uh, David starts off by, in verse 1 by saying, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. And it's, it, it, this psalm is a prayer. Uh, in fact, prayer is emphasized in the beginning, the middle and the end, uh, as we'll see as we go through it. But he starts off saying, hear my cry, O God. He's not asking God, he's crying to God. Have you ever felt like that? When, you know, you're not just saying prayers, you're praying 
(laughs) Well, this is what David was doing. He was crying out to God. The next verse, in verse 2, he says, I call twice uh, in the NIV. I'm calling out to you. And, And this type of prayer comes from the depth of a person's heart. And he says, hear my cry, oh God. You know, and that oh tells you something about how he's feeling inside. Oh God, please hear my cry. This is a man who's really facing struggle, struggles and difficulties. And he says, listen to my prayer. I like the fact he says, hear and listen in the two clauses in this. You know, some people hear you, but they don't listen. Have you ever had a doctor like that? You know, you go and tell the doctor, I say, oh, I know he heard me, but he didn't listen to me. <laughs> and I have congregations like that sometimes where I preach. You know, I know they hear me, but they don't listen. <laughs> And people don't get saved. But it's, it, it is the prayer David made to God. He says, Lord, don't just hear my cry. Listen to my prayer, Lord. Which means I want you to act. I want you to do something to help me. And in verse 2 he says, from the ends of the earth I call to you. And this shows that David was, as I said, in exile. He was far away from Jerusalem, where his capital was, where his throne was, uh, because he had had to go into exile uh, because of a coup that had taken place, led by his own son. And uh, he was far away. He, to him, it was like being at the ends of the earth. Uh, Bible commentators think, though, that there's a double meaning to this. You know, like we say, I'm at the end of my tether. Uh, well, David was saying something similar in, the, in, in this expression by saying, I'm at the ends of the world. There's nowhere else I can go now. Uh, I've gone as far as I can go. And uh, maybe that's how we feel today as well. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. And he says, I call as my heart grows faint. How can I put that into English? Perhaps I can put it into modern English. Perhaps I can put it to you like this. Have you ever felt like your batteries are going flat? You know, I'm, I, I have a, uh, an infection that sometimes strikes me and I know when it's coming on. Uh, cellulitis is coming on because I can feel um, my batteries are going flat as, as I'm going on. I, I feel like I'm uh, shutting down. My system is shutting down. And this is the desperate situation David is in. He's in this plight far away. He's, he's got an enemy against him and he's wearing out with it. He can't keep going with it. It's becoming too much and he knows he won't be able to keep going much much longer and it's uh, an overwhelming situation and this is how it's translated in the king james it's, he says when my heart is overwhelmed and that's how many people come to when they feel uh, like this they feel overwhelmed by the pressures of life something david speaks about here and also in psalm 143 but he says the answer is lead me to the rock That is higher than I. Lead me to the rock. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He said, I'm crying out to you, Lord, to take me to the place of safety, to the place of protection in the midst of this difficulty. Now, there's two meanings behind this word rock here. Uh, literally David did hide at a place called the rock. And we read in 1 Samuel about how when he was on the run from King Saul uh, in his earlier days, he used to go to a place in the wilderness called the fortress, which we know is Masada today, uh, down in uh, the Dead Sea area of Israel. It is literally a very high rock and a place of safety, easy to defend if you're in a minority number of troops uh, uh, and people. 
And he needs to get there for physical safety. Uh, And he says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. But obviously there's a double meaning to the word rock because the Lord is David's rock as well. So spiritually he's saying not just take me to that place, but I, I need you in that place with me. If you look down in the next psalm, Psalm 62, verse 2, he says about God, He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. So this is what David is calling out to God for when he's calling out for protection. And he's saying, Lord, please help me to get there. I'm failing. Uh, I can't keep going. And he knows God can do this for him. Because as he says in verse 3, for you have been, and that's looking back on the past, on his life, on the run in the past from King Saul, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. You know, we use that phrase in English, a strong tower. We say someone is a tower of strength to me. You know, well, this is what the Lord was to David. You were my strong tower, my tower of strength against the foe in the past. And that's what I'm asking for now. Take me to the rock and be my protector. And what a, what a wonderful example that is for us. You know, David knew what he needed. He needed the Lord's protection and deliverance. And he called on the Lord to bring him to that place. And a place of safety and to meet with him there in that situation. And you know, sometimes when we're in a battle, we need to say, Lord, please get me out of this. Get me to the place of safety. Get me to the place where I'm on the rock higher than me. Now, it may be that God takes us out of a situation to do that, or it may be that God helps us in a situation to do that. And he gives us his help in the midst of it all. But this is David's example to us. I read an amazing story uh, some time back about a lady and her son called Bertha and Carl Schmidt. And they lived in the, in the uh, Baltic Sea area uh, many years ago, back in, I think it was back in the 1800s. And uh, it was a situation a little bit like what we've got in the news at the moment with this army, the Wagner army, coming to march on Moscow. And uh, the danger the people originally felt they were in in Moscow, you know, there's going to be a war and we're going to be caught in the middle of it. And uh, we're thankful that these, these people have said they don't want to shed blood and we wish they were doing the same in Ukraine but uh, that was the sort of situation Bertha and Carl were in an army was coming towards them they'd heard it and they in their little hamlet of houses were on the main road where this army would come and when they heard the news everybody was frightened Everybody was frightened. They knew this army would do terrible things. And so what they did was they barricaded themselves into their houses. And uh, Bertha and Carl put uh, the, the wardrobes up against the doors and against the windows to try and block access into their house. And Carl was young. He was, uh, was a believer, but he was a young Christian. But his mother was a mature believer. And once they'd done all they could, she sat down in her chair and she started praying. She sat there with her Bible and she prayed. And she kept reciting the words of a hymn which said, Round us a wall our God shall rear and our proud foes shall quail with fear. 
And she just kept saying that to herself and praying to the Lord. And and Carl said to her, how can God build a wall around this cottage strong enough to keep out an army? Come on, mum, be realistic. And she replied, have you never read that not a sparrow falls to the ground without his will, Carl? And Carl didn't really take on board the message. And they sat there worrying. And adding to the problem, a storm was raging outside as well. But then they began to hear the screams and the the terrible things happening in their neighbors' houses as the army came nearer and nearer. And this storm was raging at the same time. And uh, they they were inside. They couldn't see outside what was happening. They were just sitting there waiting. But while Carl sat there fretting, Bertha, Bertha sat there praying. And then it all went quiet and the sounds faded away into the distance. And after sitting tight for a couple of hours, they decided they would have a peek. And they moved the wardrobe away from the door and they gently opened the door to see out. And when they opened the door, it was a wall of snow and snow, a blizzard of snow had come down. And they couldn't walk out through it. It was literally a wall of snow against the door of the house. And Carl had to dig his way out. And because their house was slightly lower than the level of the road, uh, he had to dig up as well. And when he got up, there was no one there. But what he found was an amazing thing. The snow had covered the house from view, from the road. The army hadn't seen it at all. And God had protected them in the midst of that trial, just in answer to their prayers and faith. So if you're in a difficulty today, remember the Lord is your rock. Go to the rock. Ask the Lord, take me to the rock that is higher than I. I'm overwhelmed. I need you to help me. Do like David did and uh, turn to the Lord. Someone said, if Christ is our rock, then we can be a little bolder. And uh, I hope that will encourage you. Then secondly, we see David's preference here in verses 4 to 5. Because in verse 4 to 5, David answers the question, not just how can I get out of this, but what can I get out of this? And that's a very important question for us all to answer when we're in uh, a time of stress and difficulty. Does God have a purpose for my life in this? God has allowed this, therefore what purpose does he have? And David reveals his preference is a closer walk with the Lord. If you look in verse 4, he says, I long to dwell in your tent or your tabernacle, as it literally is in Hebrew, meaning the tent temple that Israel had. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Now, the shelter of the wings there would be the Ark of the Covenant, which had the angels on top and uh, was uh, uh, looking down on the mercy seat, as we talked about last week in one of our sermons, and that was kept in the tabernacle. And you remember Samuel, the man who had anointed David, he had hidden in the temple in, uh, un- where the Ark of the Covenant was in the days of Eli and his sons, and it had been where God had kept him safe in the days of the wicked priests. And David says, I long to dwell under the shelter of your wings. And then he says a cellar, which means, think about that, pause for that, and take that on board. 
And then he gives reasons why. In verse 5, he says, For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. The heritage of uh, those who fear God's name is the land of Israel, and it's the different tribal portions they were given to each family. That was their heritage from the Lord. And and David says, Lord, I, I want to be in the place where you have given me, which is to be in your presence. That's my heritage. That's the tribal land I want to be inside the tabernacle, the place where those who fear your name come. And this is David's preference in the midst of all his, his things uh, he's going through. He doesn't just ask God, get me out of this. But he says, do something and bring me into a closer walk with you as I come out of this. I want to be close with you in the place, in the holy of holies of, of your tabernacle to walk with you. Do you know, isn't that a, a, an example to us? You know, as we think about the things we go through in life. Are we just thinking about escape or are we thinking, God, work in me. So when I come out of this, the lessons you had for me, I've learned and I don't have to have them again. (laughs) And uh, I'm able to walk closely, more closely with you than I have done. J.C. Ryle said this. He said, trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from this world to send us to the Bible and to drive us to our knees. And I think that's a a good quote because uh, I think that's true. God intends out of our difficulties to bring us into a closer walk with you. So if you're in a trial at this time, then I would urge you to think about this and say, Lord, I I want you to get me out of this, but I want you to get me out of it with a closer walk with you. I don't want to be further away. You know, some people come out of their trials with unbelief. Some people come out of their trials distant from the Lord. I don't want to be like that. I want to be closer to you. I want to be in the place where you are. Let make that your prayer as well. And then thirdly, we see David's prayer in verses 6 and 7. David says, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. And David here adds another prayer into the the psalm in his third stanza. And uh, his prayer is really a threefold request. Let me just lay them out for you. He's saying, sustain me. He's saying, seat me. And he's saying, shield me. These are the three things he's asking for. Sustain me, in verse 6, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. He's asking for the Lord to protect him from more uprisings and the dangers that would bring death to him and to preserve the divinic dynasty till the coming of the Messiah. He's asking God to sustain him, to protect him. You know, that's a, that's a good thing for us to pray, isn't it? Uh, that God would sustain us and help us to go, keep going on in life and uh, to be an example for him. And to even increase our days that we may fulfill our ministry that God has given us. He asked to seat him. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. 
And uh, this was very particular to David, of course, as the king. And you may not know this, but if you look at a, a picture of Jerusalem, and you can find these, these pictures online, but if you look how Jerusalem was laid out with the temple and the palace of David, the palace of David was next to the temple. So uh, it had a wall with a door through uh, from one courtyard to the other. And it was to show that the king sat at the Lord's right hand. There's a picture, of course, messianically of the, of the Messiah to come, who's going to sit at the Lord's right hand, which he does in glory today. And he's saying here, seat me uh, enthroned in your presence. Well, praise God, we are seated with God, according to Ephesians 2. And that's something we can thank God for. But he also says, shield me uh, again in verse 7. He says, appoint your love and faithfulness to protect me. Uh, as uh, the King James says, oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. And that's a, a good prayer, by the way, to pray for the king. When I pray for King Charles, that very prayer is in my prayer diary. When I pray for the king, I pray for mercy and truth <laughs> for him, to, to guide him and, and, and prepare him, protect him and for him to come to the mercy and truth of God. But, you know, that's for us as well, isn't it? And when we're in a difficulty, we can pray, Lord, sustain me through this. Uh, bring me seated on, on the throne to glory with you, Lord, and shield me from further discouragements by your love and faithfulness to protect me. And God surely is able to answer that prayer. I'd love to read something to you. It's going to take just a moment to read, but it was an amazing testimony that appeared in Billy Graham's prayer letter to his supporters. And it told of an African mother who came to Christ and grew strong in her commitment and devotion to the Lord. And it says, as so often happens, this alienated her from her husband. And over the years, he grew to despise and hate her fidelity to Christ. His anger and bitterness reached a climax when he decided to kill his wife, their two children and himself. He was unable to live in such self-inflicted misery. But he needed a motive. So he decided he would accuse her of stealing his precious keys. The keys were to the bank which he worked at and his house and the car. Early one afternoon, he left his bank and headed for the tavern. His route took him across a footbridge extended over the headwaters of the Nile River. He paused above the river and dropped the keys. He spent all afternoon drinking and carousing, and then later that afternoon, he, he was going to go home. That day, his wife went to the fish market to buy the evening meal, and she purchased a large Nile perch. As she was gutting the fish, to her astonishment, in its belly were her husband's keys. How had they gotten there? What were the circumstances? She did not know, but she cleaned them up and hung them on the hook. Sufficiently drunk, the young banker came home that night and pounded open the front door, shouting, Woman, where are my keys? Already in bed, she got up and picked them off the hook in the bedroom and handed them to her husband. When he saw the keys, 
by his own testimony, he immediately became sober and was instantly converted. He fell on his knees, sobbing, asking for forgiveness and asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Saviour. Well, what a great God. Amen. Yeah, see? And that's how the Lord can answer prayer. So let's learn again from David's example in these wonderful ways. The final thing I want you to see here is his praise, because David's not finished until he's praised the Lord. And he says this in verse 8, Then will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. In Shakespeare's play, King Lear, uh, the king says that, It's sharper than a serpent's tooth to have a thankless child. And David doesn't want to be like that to the Lord. He doesn't want to be a thankless child. He wants to say thank you to the Lord for what he has been delivered from. And he already anticipates doing this. And so he says, when I come out of this, I'm going to sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. Now, uh, that means two things. Singing, obviously, is worship by song, and we understand that. And David was a a musician, a a singer. But the vows would be a reference to the sacrifices. Um, People would make a vow to offer a sacrifice when they came to the temple for the Lord's help. And so singing and sacrifices were a, a part of worship in the Old Testament. I'll fulfill my vows, and I'll do it day after day. It'll be my life's testimony, the way I live after this. If you bring me out of this, I'm going to worship you. And uh, that was something David actually did. And we know that because he wrote this psalm as a result to give us his praise and his testimony of what God had done. And it's lovely that this psalm ends in praise to God. And he says, I will ever sing praise to your name. Now that quite tickled me because God's name isn't mentioned in this psalm. You'll notice three times in the beginning, in the middle, and the end, it says, oh God. But if you remember earlier on, he says, he'll give them the heritage of those who fear your name. And the name Hashem, which means the name, is a phrase the Hebrew people often use in reverence of God instead of using the divine name and he says I will ever sing praise to your name so David is going to come out of this worshipping I just wonder if you're coming through a time of difficulties don't just come out and say oh I'm glad to be out of it come out of it a worshipper come out of it thanking God and if you're going through something now then make it a determined decision every step along the way I'm going to make a note to thank God for this. And everything that he brings me out of, I'm going to give him thanks for. You know, I heard about a family who wanted to increase their prayer and praise life and their thankfulness to God. So what they did was, they had a jar in the hallway and they had a bowl of marbles next to the jar. And every time somebody in the family got an answer to prayer, they put a marble in the jar. And they would come home from work or come home from school and say, oh, there's a marble and jar. What happened, mum? And she would say, this happened. And they would praise the Lord together. It was a way of reminding them that God was answering prayers and stirring them to praise. And as they saw the jar fill up with marbles, their praise level went up as well. As they were praying, look at all these answers to prayer, Lord, how good you've been to us. And they worshipped the Lord. Maybe something simple like that is a, a, an answer, uh, something you could follow, uh, or something that the Lord will show you, which is a comparison. 
but come out of it a worshipper as well. So what a great psalm this is. And if you are in difficulties, may the Lord strengthen you and encourage you uh, as you face them and uh, help you with this psalm. And if you're not in difficulties, may it be stored away in your heart, ready for that time. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your saviour, you need to ask him, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Like David said, I can't get there on my own. I need you. You cannot become a Christian on your own. You need God to do that work in you. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Draw me to Christ where I'll put my faith. And let God, the Spirit, draw you even today. Shall we sing our final hymn?